here's another way to think of it. And this um, has helped me when we kind of discovered this. What we recognize is that the job of marketing is to move the market, like the people you're aiming from unaware to aware. Mm-hmm. That's it. Marketing is unaware to aware. Sales is interest to intent. When you try to go from unaware to intent, you're trying to take on way too much. You're biting way too much and you move too slow because you think the only way to measure good marketing is if I sold anything. There's a place in Southern Oregon filled with gorgeous natural beauty, friendly yet independent people and a mild, comfortable climate. That place is called Grants Pass. These are the stories of the people that live and work in Josephine County. These are the movers and shakers that make this place the best. This is Grants Pass VIP. Tim Thompson is kind of an enigma. He's the owner and CEO of ZiplineGear.com in Grants Pass, Oregon, but that doesn't explain all who he is. TV producer, minister, investor, married for 23 years, father of five boys, I can go on and on, but at the core of Tim's career as an owner, consultant, and coach is what Tim calls the four stages of a creative career. At the consultancy, he founded RevThink, which can be found at RevThink.com, and their podcast called RevThinking, they are the leader in the field of the creative entrepreneur. His story in this interview will help you understand how this comes together. Tim Thompson, welcome to Grants Pass VIP. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for the introduction. Whoever wrote that did a very good job. I might want to get a copy of that because it's often hard to explain all those aspects. Um, But it's funny as you read that off, you know, you're told as a kid to avoid three topics in conversation, um, money, religion, and politics. And I feel like as you read my bio, like you're basically saying, here's Tim Thompson. He talks about those three things that no one's supposed to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) I love what you're doing with this podcast, um, this idea of building community, getting known one another, especially in this uh, odd situation we find ourselves in. So thanks for putting this together and inviting me onto it. No, sure thing. We're happy to have you here. We were talking a little bit before about how I came across your name. And to tell you the truth, I don't recall how we came across your name. We started building a list together. We started asking other people about names. Uh, My producer, Shawnee Douglas had uh, worked on this. So it's one of these things where we're kind of, we're really getting to know each other from scratch. I know a little bit about you just from researching a little bit of your background that's found online. But other than that, we're just going, going straight into this and finding out uh, more about each other. So why don't you give everyone kind of a kind of an idea of your life story up to this point. <laughs> sure. I don't think anyone wants to hear my life story. But I, 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 you kind of read off the bio. It goes a lot of different directions. Um, usually I do this over coffee though, Brian. So just at least I have a rain check for coffee in the future, right? Where of we're course, actually- absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's great. You know, it's hard to explain the path really because as you mentioned, when I was in college, kind of started my career, what I was really focused on was television, television production. I'd like to say I fell in love with the television of the 80s, but by the time I got involved in television, that time had already passed. So there was a, a new discovery in that field. Obviously, the digital has changed all of our lives. Um, I look like I'm older than you, so I'm just going to tell you, Brian, that back in my day kind of a thing. But the, the digital transition in the entertainment industry was something that was happening and I was on the front lines. So that gave me a chance as a young person to really create 
invent. I don't know what it'd be, but like uh, just put standards into place. That gave me like a foundation for a career that I'm still living today. It's the foundation of why I became a consultant. My friends who own businesses or um, their, their friends that own businesses would call me and just ask me to solve problems for them. So that's the beginning of what's there. But yeah, there's, you know, once you kind of break into, you know, thinking about new things in a new way, the world just opens up to you. And that's really the journey I'm on now. Oh, that, that's a great way to put it. So uh, how did you end up here in Grants Pass? My in-laws actually, they moved up here the year we got married. So we often visited in the early 2000s. We had a rental property out in Williams. We, of course, we were smart at the people in LA. And so we built onto our Williams property. And then on boy number four, we realized we probably should give them a different place to grow up because it was a pack of boys. One of the things I like to say is like, it's illegal to be a boy in Los Angeles. You can't ride your skateboard on the sidewalk. You can't climb a tree. You can't throw a rock. You can't mow your own lawn. I don't know what the issues are. So we just wanted our boys to grow up to be boys. So we uh, moved into Williams and that's kind of how we ended up here, just by chance. A little bit of downshifting, change of a career. That ministry path I went on and started on, I actually used the Pacifica. There's a piece of land out in Williams called Pacifica. Mm -hmm. And we rented that house, Steve Miller's old house. Uh, We rented that for a few years and we had students come and live there and I would mentor and teach and we'd do classes and church service and that kind of stuff out there. So I love Williams. I love, love Williams and uh, a great time out there and great time for growth for everybody. It's really awesome. Me and my wife were married in the barn in Pacifica. Oh, you were? Oh yeah, that's great. How long ago was that? 2013. 2013. So I actually was on the board of directors at Pacifica when you got married there. Oh, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Go. That's how we met each other. That's yeah, why I'm on the podcast. We, we found the connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that old uh, Steve Miller's old recording studio. Yep. Isn't that an incredible place? It is. Yeah. Very oh, cool. It's very magical to be out there and yeah. to kind of be in that rustic wood environment. You know, now they have the nursery out mm-hmm. there and uh, they do such a great job. Here's one of the things that have inspired me of the people around uh, Josephine County and Grants Pass. The people that started Pacifica, Ray and Peg Prague, you know, and uh, it was Peg's brother. They basically took their money, their private money that they've earned over the years. They bought 400 acres in the middle of Williams, and then they gave it away so that we could go enjoy it. Hmm. And you can right now go drive to Pacifica, drive on that property, walk around. There are trails, there's horse trails beautiful, beautiful, beautiful land that you wouldn't have access to if they were greedy and they just give it away to their community. That's so inspiring to me. It's a wonderful journey that people can be on in life if you believe and kind of think through what is actually important. Um, And if you're always just like the give me, give me taking kind of person, you'll never understand the blessings of being one of those kind of Pacifica trustees positions or a giver in that way. But the giving economy is way better than the receiving economy. Yeah. I'm glad you, you benefited. I benefited from their generosity. It's wonderful out there. Oh, that's fabulous. That's great. What were you doing when you first moved to the area? I actually started RevThink and my ministry called The Church Works at the same time. I drove into the B of A right there um, on G Street, and I opened the check, both checking accounts the same day. The bank manager there was a guy named Jason Fletcher, and Jason works for me today. I remember him that moment. He helped me start my checking accounts. 
And I did both those items. And it's simple. Like I just wanted to use my experience, my connections, whatever I had available to help other people. And to do it in two ways, the one in the RevThink way where I could leverage my television experience, the connections I have, meet the needs of the people in that industry who I truly love, serve today through RevThink. You know, the, our own podcast is just giving away information as fast as we can to make other people healthy. And then the church works the same way. We had a conviction that college-aged folks have a difficulty tackling their faith, understanding the skepticism that they're facing, dealing with reality. Some very important Christian foundations like the gospel are being lost. The message of the gospel is lost. And we wanted to institutionalize that in people's hearts. So we kind of, in a way, just opened our house. We opened someone else's house, but we opened up our house and we fed them and welcomed them in and processed with them. And um, it was a, really an open door policy for about eh, probably four years total. And we did it. Our own kids were coming of age. It was hard to kind of give to that many other people and have a healthy family. So mm -hmm. we had to take on the right priorities and focus on our own kids as they were maturing. But I easily see myself getting back into the ministry. My youngest is now 13. So just a few years away, we'll be back into doing some of that heart driven stuff again. Wow. That's awesome. That's really, yeah, cool. I love it. Tell me a little bit more about RevThink. What's that all about? You're on the same journey that I'm on in a way, right? Oh, um, <laughs> think about the processes of just writing your own book. Like the effort you have to put into the research that you do to compile that information into somewhere that someone else then reads and gets a benefit of, you know, a, a million times what they read in your book. There's some of us that like, we can remember those decisions along the way and we could put them somewhere that other people can feed off of it and grow. Um, you can probably relate to that with uh, what you're doing with your book and even this podcast, you're really just promoting the goodwill of others. Mm -hmm. RevThink has kind of that at, at its core. Creative business owner, it's very difficult to navigate the creative needs of a project or a client, a production, and meet the business needs. It actually is two totally different parts of your brain that have to process the analytical stuff and then the compulsive creative stuff. When you do the creative compulsive stuff, it hijacks the analytical part of your brain. So it's physiologically a challenge to take care of it. Not to mention most creative people just don't want to be bored with, with business things. Yeah. So uh, I recognize that as a need in my friends, as I said, that were creative people that own businesses. And I didn't really want to do this specifically but um, in a way, like I just fell in love with this industry and the people and the creative need. And I had a certain gift and I started RevThink to, to serve that body of people. That was, I don't even know what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago now. Oh, wow. And it's grown. Um, I have other consultants that work with me. We create a lot of content now and produce that. We really come alongside these creative entrepreneurs who are looking to take on the challenges. We serve a quasi kind of specific groups um, where it focuses on the industries and part of the industries where we came from. And that's usually production companies or motion design firms. Um, most of our clients are, they're doing high-end productions. They're doing international or national television spots. Um, I have a client right now that's in, um, in China launching the League of Legends world uh, job, huge stadium that they're doing. They usually do Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande and, mm -hmm. um, Lady Gaga shows. And so they're there doing that. You know, we work with the guys that are doing the Oscars. We work with folks that are making 
Nike commercials and Apple commercials, they take on a lot of burden. You know, Apple TV Plus is a big client to our clients. These huge burdens that they're taking on because the importance of the projects that they have and the support that they need and someone that can relate to the projects that they're doing. And I think that's the sweet spot for RevThink. And yeah, we love it. Serving the people we love. So do you help them connect up with the right people or do you just help them with any issue they may be facing? Yeah, we actually kind of broke down the issues a creative business owner has um, into what we call the seven ingredients or the seven areas of business you have to master. Hmm. And some of them are very obvious. It's the creative because you're a creative business owner, production because you have to get the job done, finance. Every business owner has those kind of three major items. Sales and marketing. And we like to point out that sales and marketing are two separate issues. And we know that because they're spelled differently. So therefore, there's two different things. And a lot of people just put the two together thinking they're doing it both. But a marketing strategy is very different than a sales strategy. I think your book deals with that and that kind of thought process of what it's like to get your product out there as a marketer. And then sales is the conversion of those products. Um, then we have operations and leadership. I think that's all seven. Sometimes I get lost. I get sleepy, dopey, doc, <laughs> I can't, you know, try to keep all seven in them together. But those seven ingredients are things that they have to master. And then what we've decided to do at RevThink is understand what those issues are in each of those ingredients and then create tools for people to either hire others. We'll consult people through it. Some people retain us to solve some of those issues yeah. or we teach them. We have classes, accelerated classes they can learn and grow. You know, what's funny is, is listening to your podcast and getting to know you, I almost feel like you and I are on the same journey, right? Yeah. I, I because guess because you know it, like you're thinking through those same issues and writing them and put them out there. Mm-hmm. Are, is your focus primarily just in the online area there, the Amazon issues? Are you thinking through just marketing issues and you identified the Amazon sellers? It was definitely... I started out doing a lot of work online. Uh, Early 2000s, I was working with search engine optimization and doing all this stuff online. And that got me into online marketing and just doing, handling all that end. And then ended up doing full on marketing because it's all the same, regardless of where you're doing it. It's still the same people are people. It's the same processes. Yeah. What we ended up finding out is when I was talking with, especially e-commerce companies was, there was a few major fears that they all had. And one of them was this huge looming fear of the big boogeyman, the amazon.com. And so I played off of that with the title of the book. Well, Amazon is evil. I mean, you know, we're learning it with Zipline here. I mean, they're flat out. If you're listening to my voice, they're evil. You know, they basically built a product. They built their own product to compete with us once they saw that we were successful on their platform. That's downright just evil. You're not um, the only one. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a blessing and a curse. What a great opportunity you've had. You, you've taken uh, opportunity or stolen the opportunity of this evolution in business and marketing as well and being able to be at the forefront of it. It only takes a few years to be a master of it because it's such a young enterprise as it is. Yeah. Um, but to put that out there, when you talk about marketing, what do you think the biggest challenge is when it comes to marketing? Because you went from the online marketing to now we'll say like global marketing or big marketing. What do you think the biggest challenge is for business owners when you think through the marketing issues? I think most of the time, the biggest issues with most business owners that I run into comes down to just understanding the most basic concepts of marketing in terms of having any type of consistent system 
that's bringing in new people and communicating with previous customers or current customers. Just having systems that do that constantly and not getting thrown off and distracted and wonder, it's like you said that the mind only works in one direction at a time. And if you've got the business owner running the business, then wherever their mind's at is where the business is going. Yeah. And if, if it's going in the wrong direction, they're missing out on all these pieces that need to keep going when they're not focused on it. So I moved more away from even marketing and more into business strategy because it was more of a big picture issue that business owners have, their relationship that they have with their business is, yeah. what, is what causes the disconnect. I feel like the next book you and I are going to write together because um, I think you totally nailed it with uh, the issues we see with marketing as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I love this because I think people can hear what you and I are discovering when it comes to some of these challenges of being a business owner. You know, one of them is you use the word system and very few people think systematically about things that feel creative. Yeah. Most people think uh, marketing is a shot in the dark. Like, I don't know, I'll put money on Google and hope I make it. And there's no thought that there's actual strategy you can apply, measurable results and decisions that you can make. I mean, you can do it on a spreadsheet. You just do math and you can figure out the decisions you're making. You wouldn't get in your car without a gas gauge. Why would you spend money in marketing without some kind of sense of like, when you're running out of gas, you should probably pull over. So I love that idea of making making it um, a system. Yeah. You know, Zipline, clearly we do a lot of the online marketing and that's really where uh, when Nathan founded the company, his genius was, some of it's just, uh, you know, a love of something and good timing, mm-hmm. but he became what I call a category creator. You know, he, what he did is he, he took um, an issue that was invisible to people. They didn't realize that they had this problem, but nobody can easily put up a zip line in their backyard because you had to drive to like seven or eight stores then you have to kind of understand the instructions behind it. And then you, is the pulley right? And is it safe? What he did originally was he would place an ad and if someone bought it, then he would go to the eight stores and buy the stuff, put it into a box. His mom would drive him to the post office because he wasn't yet 16 when he, when he started doing wow. this. And he would mail out that with some instructions of how to do it. But when you're a category creator, you win that category. It's like the Ford Explorer, like it was the, was the vehicle of the SUV for so many years. And to take care of that part of marketing. So when everyone's someone looking for a backyard zip line, we're the first ones to show up because we've always been the backyard zip line place. That part of marketing, realize that's a strat- marketing strategy of like, be a category creator, do something different, stand out. Absolutely. Don't go to your competitor and copy their website and think that's what you want. You actually don't want to be your competitor. You want to be someone unique and different. That's a, like a marketing edge that few people, I guess we just are never taught that. That challenge is pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Exactly right. That, I've got an entire chapter in my book dedicated to that. Simple. It's a simple concept, but most people, they let it go for some reason or don't really capture it because it's so simple that, or they think it's impossible to be able to do that. Time after time, again, you see the people that are making it out there, people who are, that were able to do that. Here's another way of thinking of it. This, um, has helped me when we kind of discovered this. What we recognize is that the job of marketing is to move the market, like the people you're aiming from unaware to aware. Mm -hmm. That's it. Marketing is unaware to aware. Sales is interest to intent. When you try to go from unaware to intent, you're trying to take on way too much. You're biting way too much and you move too slow because you think the only way to measure good marketing 
is if I sold anything. Mm -hmm. And that's where like Facebook ads and Google ads and all this stuff have dumbed us all down because they mm -hmm. keep trying to convince us that their marketing works because they give us one KPI yeah. of how much sales we have. That is ludicrous. That is <laughs> such a waste of good effort. Mm -hmm. If you just gave yourself permission that did they know me before and do they know me now, mm -hmm. your creative energy for marketing just expands because think about all the ways you can get people to be aware of your brand. Watch a Nike commercial. They're not giving you the address to the local Nike store when they sell that. They are simply making you aware of the group of people that consume their product. So if you feel compelled to be cool like them, you'll figure out where the Nike store is. That's what the sales process is and why they have the big swoop over the building in downtown Portland or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we get that wrong. It's one of the big challenges. Um, that to me is some of what, what I like to take on with the challenge I have in business and think through that for the local business groups. I was actually a, a co-owner of a company called Reveil. It was a local marketing group out of Medford. My partner, Alex Poitras and I ran that for a few years. Same kind of dynamic you're in the, the local market, think things through. Um, mm -hmm. so everything from being, you know, owning a marketing agency and doing it to doing it for my own product and then coaching other people to do it for their brands. Um, it's one of the great challenges, you know, and then I can talk about cash flow for the next five hours too. <laughs> cash flow is another one that people yeah. struggle with. But really, I just, as I learn this stuff, I just want to capture it. I want to put it somewhere. I want people to find it. I want people to use it. Mm -hmm. And then I want them to write a thank you note to me to say, Hey, thanks. I never realized this was a problem. How can I support RevThink? And then I'll teach them how to support RevThink and things we can do together. Um, Very it's, cool. It's kind of a good journey. Yeah, that's cool. Sounds great. like you and I are going to be in business together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because a lot of the reasons why I started this podcast was to go out and meet people. I know we're all out there, but how do you get in contact with them? And so I kind of had to create somewhat of a magnet for myself to kind of bring people to me, bring all the interesting people in town to me. I, I hate to say it's now just because you're not on the show doesn't mean you're not interesting. It's just, I was looking for a way to meet more interesting people. You really can't know enough interesting people the, the way I see it. Really fabulous that we we've gotten to talk here. So, because I think it says something about your perspective on business and everything. How did you get into television production? What drew you in that direction? I mean, thank you for that. That's like the easiest question I can answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I fell in love with television as a kid. I saw what was happening and I thought to myself, I want to do that for a living. And when I was just, you know, my mom would know better, but I'm going to say I was like five years old. I told my mom I'm going to be a comedian for a living because I just wanted to be on television and do it. And I never let it go. I never let it go. Here's like one of those, mom those moments where if you could change your mind, you would go back on it. But uh, I went to school in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, mm -hmm. The school is called the College of Notre Dame. We were on a street. And this is the Bay Area, right? So one end of the street was my school. On the other end, down the street is this company, small company um, called Oracle. Never heard of it before. <laughs> so one day a nun came up to me because we were a Catholic school. And yeah. she said to me, Tim, you know, you're so brilliant. And these people down the street, they're always hiring people. You should go down there and get a job. And so this is early 90s. I honestly have never heard of Oracle my entire life. And I was like, Sister RJ, there's no way. I, I don't even know what that is. I'm going to work in Hollywood. And then 10 years later, the, the receptionists at Oracle are millionaires because the stock, <laughs> the right. stock market boom. And I'm struggling to get television to work because the darn digital has commoditized our industry so bad. Uh, I got very lucky when I first went to LA. And 
like a crazy man. Like it, it seems so silly how easy it was, but I didn't know any way to do it. I literally parked my car in Burbank and I literally went door to door. I mean, I went up to doors. If it said productions, I'd ring the doorbell, knock on the door, welcome myself in. And I went up and down Burbank Boulevard. I probably went to 15 or 16 places that day. Many of the places thought, what the heck are you doing in my office? Please leave. We know this isn't how the world works, sir. Get out of here. But one of the places I walked into was Dick Clark Productions. Um, they're across the street from NBC Studios. And as I walked in there, I had no resume on me. So this guy just looked at me like, what is wrong with you? Nobody gets a job this way, dude. What do you want from me? And I was like, my name is Tim. I work very hard. I can do this. I always want to be in television production. Whatever job you give me, I'll make sure I get it done. He was like, okay, you work in the mailroom. And so I worked in the mailroom for about a week. And then I was put on the American Music Awards. And then um, the director that I met on the American Music Awards, he left that show to do another small show called The Oscars. And he took me with him. <laughs> And then I met a guy there who then did the Emmys and the Oscars the next season. And in that next season, because I knew how to use Microsoft Excel, because I was a kid of the 90s instead of the 80s, <laughs> um, I was given the job to make the budgets for these shows. So <laughs> I kind of made a career for a little while just doing these large events and doing their budgets. And I was pulled into a production company in, um, in Hollywood who did visual effects for films. So I worked on the visual effects for Braveheart, and a couple of our films, but we also did the opening credits for films. This small group of us did the opening credits. Mm. One of the films we did in my first couple of years was this movie Seven, and the opening credits to that movie changed the industry, yeah. just changed it. And I happened to be one of the 20 people at that center point. And the day that movie was released, it was Spielberg was calling us, Ridley Scott, Tony Scott was calling us, David Fincher obviously called us back. I mean, our phones lit up. And um, before I was 28 years old, I had 70 people working for me. I was wow. the head of operations of this company and I was building these systems and making things happen. And I was at right place, right time, doing the right stuff, but it kind of solidified what I knew how to do and, and can do it. Like I said, like the television I fell in love with in the eighties, I had nothing to do with that. What I fell into was a thing of the nineties and early two thousands. Mm -hmm. And it's been kind of a basis of the evolution of the industry and my career as we go through it. So that's a really long answer for a journey, but uh, I, I honestly believe there's still some of those principles that are likely today of like, if you work hard and you show up on time and you follow your heart, and you really take on challenges that no one else is doing, like you'll be successful in business. You'll be successful in your career. Um, that's, that's the heart of it. How do you work every day to make something that lives on longer than you? That's very inspiring. That's awesome. Okay, let's take a break from that conversation. I wanted to bring up a question for you. During these crazy times, do you feel like your business is indestructible? Most people don't. And if not, the real question is why? And what can you do to make it as indestructible as possible? Well, that's the basis of my new book, Nine Ways to Amazon Proof Your Business. Let me talk about what we discuss in the first chapter, determine focus. So one of the main ways that you can Amazon proof your business is by determining the focus of your business. And the real problem isn't 
that you're not doing enough. The real problem is, is that you may be doing too many things in too many places. So one of the things I suggest is decide whether your focus is going to be acquisition, ascension, or monetization. And I go into the details of what that means in this chapter. And it's really the only three ways that you can grow your business. And if you just do that one step of determining focus, you can have a huge change in your entire business. But I also have eight other ways to Amazon proof your business. Basically the idea of making it competition proof to even someone as big as amazon.com. So if you'd like to get your hands on a free copy of my book, go to amazonproofbook.com. Sign up and you will get a free copy and get the chance to purchase a physical copy of it for a special price. In addition to that, if you happen to be in the Josephine County area or nearby and you're looking to have a speaker come and discuss these type of issues with your organization, club, or group of friends, then I have a limited calendar that I may be able to fit you into. Go check out brianjpombo.com slash speaking and fill out the application. We'll be sure and get back to you on that. And now let's get back to our show. Well, that's just great. So golly. And I didn't even t tell you the, the right turn I made when I quit all that and went to seminary in the middle of it so I could do ministry. So right, right in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 32 years old, quit all of it, burned out, went to seminary, Yeah, got my master's degree and started my ministry. Wow. So I'm, I'm kind of an underachiever. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you grew up in Grants Pass, and you don't have your exposure to some of these bigger markets, you can kind of get just lost here. And uh, there's a blessing to it, right? Because um, the goal of life is satisfaction. And if you can be satisfied with it, it's a very beautiful life, uh, a truly you know, gorgeous city. It's why we live here. But some of the challenges that are available to us outside this marketplace that we can learn and bring in and share with others and develop others to have a some eagerness and some desire to think bigger and not be afraid of it. That's a great thing. And I appreciate that about some of your journey. Like you're recognizing that and seeing like, wait a second, there's this big, scary monster that people keep talking about. I could take on that challenge. I can take on the idea of what Amazon is and build that up. It gives that kind of like good feeling uh, mm -hmm. with the work that you're doing, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're here in just for those of you listening, we're, we're recording this in early uh, September 2020. We've gone through a huge, huge piece of this COVID-19 crisis. We've been dealing with protests and riots and this and that. Has the events of 2020 had an impact on your life, on your business? Huh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> One way to think of it, like, you know, what's behind that question? Um, in a way, I think when we ask ourselves the question, the thought is that we foolishly had or naively had an expectation that isn't going to be met. Right? That's, that's the reality. Um, I, you know, some people thought 2020 was going to be their best year ever. Ha, 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 ha. Some people never even knew that there was part of industries that even existed and then COVID hits and now they're thriving in this unusual industry because of the time that's there. I have kind of a, a universal principle called the entrepreneurial formula. And it, it's pretty simple. It's needs plus resources equals solution. When you navigate the decision points of life or business, or whatever, with that, that kind of a thought of the need 
and the resource equals the solution, what you end up doing is, is you, you're constantly scanning for the need, the new need, the old needs, things that people have seen, people have seen things that haven't seen. And then the resources, you're developing those resources. It's either the skills that you have or people that you know or books that you've read or assets you've bought. Who knows? So it's resources are resources. And in a way, you know, when Nathan started Zipline Gear, he just simply put that in place. He wanted a zipline for his backyard. There was things available. If I just put that into a box, now I have a backyard zipline, right? That's, it's, it works that simple. So the COVID crisis is just feeding right into the need for the entrepreneurial formula. It's just new needs with existing or the need to develop new resources. And then you have a solution. So every business owner should be encouraged because there's really like a land grab. There's tons of opportunity with the changes that are taking place. And many of them are positive changes to, you know, foundational things that are falling away for better or worse. I don't know how many banks are going to close by the time this crisis is done, but the banks are closing. Mm -hmm. There's a new need. Uh, what resources do you have? How can you solve that issue? Where, where are you coming from? How do, we, how do we build you up to find the resources you have that fit the need? And if we plug those together, is there a value proposition that's worth selling? If not, ditch it. Stop trying to, mm -hmm. you know, like if there's no value, get out of it. But that entrepreneurial formula is, is where we live. You know, I, I coach a lot of business owners. So to, we did a daily podcast show or video cast show for 50 days straight once the crisis hit, uh, walking people through it, really just being their best friend because as a business owner, it's very lonely. You need to know somebody mm. has your back. So we did a lot of that. And um, again, I'll say like, you know, four months ago, some of the clients I had had, you know, there was no rock concert for Justin Bieber coming up. Lady Gaga canceled her Coachella. I mean, Coachella got canceled. Yeah. The Democratic National Convention, which these guys were working on, that wasn't happening in the same way. Mm -hmm. Huge crisis for their entire workload. And then to realize, oh, wait, this evolution now is turning into a huge project in China. The DNC did happen in a different way. They had resources to meet the need. They stepped up and did it. And even the rock concerts are changing. They're still entrepreneurs. That's what the entrepreneur does is meet those needs. So um, for me, I think I, I, I'm, it's living out principles and seeing things that many, many people deal with. It's also very satisfying to have some people to coach. <laughs> They're coming out of the woodwork and it's great to have some resources available to them. But I'll say like, I'm a business owner too. I mean, you're a business owner too. It's, mm -hmm. are you sleeping every night? Like you <laughs> right? We have this thing called the 2 a.m. issues. How are your 2 a.m. issues, Brian? Yeah. Are you dealing with those? Yeah, funny, right? The, the, the number one 2 a.m. issue that we all deal with, by the way, and this is the first thing, the first curse you have to get rid of is um, when you wake up at 2 a.m. and you go check your checking account. Oh, boy. Right? That's the one of like, wait a second, do I have enough money to, and then you think about all this stuff. Yeah. Um, if you waited till 8 a.m., you know, that dream would have been over and you wouldn't have panicked, but that you, you wake up in these sweats. Um, and that's really like how I got involved in doing cash flow. And we've written a piece of software to help people through the cash flow systems in their life just to let go of that one 2 a.m. issue. Because mm. my gosh, that is such a curse to a business owner. I was hating it myself and many of my clients hate that, that issue. So, And I think it all comes back to that entrepreneurial spirit, even though you've encapsulated it into a mathematical formula, it's something that 
is what's magical about a person that goes out there and puts it out on the line and is looking for solutions in the face of problems, which yeah. is what you're talking about. And that's, um, like I said before, it's inspirational. It's something that I think whether you own a business or not, you should be able to gain something from that, gain something from that attitude and that idea and being able to move forward regardless of what the situations are. Yeah, it defines entrepreneurism in a different way. I think um, franchise owners are probably struggling with these issues very differently because the, the entrepreneur solution that they look for is very boxy, mm. right? If, if the franchise you bought says you can't open because the franchise won't open, you can't open. You don't have that yeah. choice. But the entrepreneurial spirit behind that probably had some truth that you could break away and still be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. I think we hurt ourselves when what we, th we think we are what we do. So I own this lumber store, therefore I'm the lumber man. It's like, that's probably not the right way of thinking of it. If you th see to yourself like, I'm a person that looks to help people and the needs that they have, I can discover needs. Now, not all of them are good. Not all of them are profitable and not all of them would work for you. Someone else could probably meet that need and that's theirs to do, not yours. But uh, if you're looking at the situation differently, it's opportunity that's in front of us. And it's actually a very freeing way to kind of be awake to the situation at hand. Because um, it is kind of goofy. Especially, mm -hmm. I don't know, this weird thing in Portland is, we're in the headline news all the time. I can't, I talk to people in New York and LA and they're worried about us yep. in Southern Oregon because they think we're, I don't know, everyone thinks we're near Portland. But uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's kind of funny. <laughs> If we were talking like a year from now and looking back, you talked about expectations and that's going to change someone a lot one way or the other on how they're handling things is the expectations they put forth. Do you have any expectations on where you're going to be at like a year from now? Do you have specific things that you're looking to achieve? Let me see if I could flip this question on his head a little bit. Because sure. I, I think one of, the, one of the things that we like to conquer when it comes to life is time. So we see these um, milestones in years or ages or efforts. And I think it has a good base because we have 18 years and then we graduate. And then we have, you know, so many years that we're married and we have milestones of putting the right kind of ring on the right finger at the right time or whatever, you know, gold watches and whatever. So I get the base of it. I'm, I'm not confused on why we address things in time. But um, one of the things I've learned about myself is that I'm not very good at keeping score for better or worse. Mm -hmm. um, people owe me money and I don't hound them for it because life is life and we have to do that. But by the way, this doesn't mean anyone in your audience can just ask me for cash and, and I'll <laughs> give, it, give it to them. Um, like the scorekeeping part of life, you have to learn how to keep score in such a way that you know you're achieving the results you want to. When I was looking at things retrospectively, because I'm an older man now and I've gone through a few seasons of my own journey, um, I recognize that there are needs for evolution in life. And again, like if you see it in like a big picture, you'll recognize that at one point in your life, in order to survive, you had to be selfish. As a baby, if you're not selfish, then you're not crying when you're hungry and then you're not fed. Mm -hmm. And that selfish nature, the, the taking nature of who we are originally is part of survival and our brain is geared towards it. We can learn so fast. So our brain is ready to receive it. And then we devour as much as we can in those early years. And it creates the person that we are. The more we take, the easier it is to learn at those ages and we can um, be ready for it. Other than the spectrum is this 
person who's really not learning much more. I mean, the brain doesn't even have the ability to learn as fast or understand or comprehend as much, but they have so much life experience. All they can do is give. So you have the, the two ends of it, right? So you have this the giver side of the far one side and the, and the taker side, the other side. And then we have this thing in the middle called our career. And it's really our evolution from that selfish person to the giving person. And I think most of us have this like dream of legacy. Like I'll, I'll have enough success that I can retire. I can give back. I could, you know, um, sponsor a, a bear in downtown Grants Pass, whatever it is, whatever <laughs> your dream is that you're going to give away. Uh, we have to be successful in the middle. Um, and I, that's where that four stages of the creative career model came to me is recognizing what it's going to take to get from point A to point B and navigate through a system of evolutions from a selfish person to a giving person. The first stage that I've kind of identified is this stage called the artist stage. And the artist stage is you think about it like it's just the person that does the job. If you think about a person that paints paintings down by the river and then sells them for 50 bucks, like the price of the canvas and paints plus an hour of their time, whatever, um, you're a total commodity and you're basically just churning and burning. That's a necessary stage so you can develop a craft and a skill, but you, it doesn't scale very well. Like you get, can't necessarily make a living being that commodity. So eventually you have to develop some systems and routines so it can grow beyond your own personal ability. And I call that next stage, the auteur stage. An auteur is a stage where other people do the work and you get the credit for it. So an easy example would be like a Steven Spielberg film. There are hundreds of people that made that film. His name is on there because yep. he developed certain, an aesthetic or an appeal. He's an auteur. Like he's developed a certain method that we know what that means by having that genre of Steven Spielberg. I'll say, I think most of us, and you probably recognize this in yourself too. Most of us think that is the career hmm. artist to auteur. And my job then is to make the biggest scale of auteur I can. And the more people I work with, the more money I make, the more things I can own, whatever in that stage, I will be happy because I have enough nuts saved away to be ready for a rainy day or kind of live out the rest of our life. But I don't think that's very satisfying. And I also don't think you can bank on it. So that's where I was challenged. And my clients were successful auteurs because we were making them successful, but they still weren't satisfied. So mm -hmm. they were challenging me to kind of think and evolve and do something different. I wonder if you could relate to just those first two stages. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's like planted in our mind a little bit. I think media does that. You know, mm -hmm. um, Elon Musk just came to the third wealthiest person on the planet or whatever that thing is. So we think, oh, he's winning. He has more in the auteur stage, right? Because Tesla auteur is yeah. doing something bigger. Uh, and by no means is Elon Musk hurting because he started Tesla. But um, what I know now is that it's not Tesla that's helping him win. It's what he's done in his systems and methods outside of just growing that one entity that mm -hmm. built it out. The next stage is the, what I call the curator stage. And a curator, um, think of it like a gallery owner, where what you're doing is you're choosing the artists. The artists are doing the work and your job is to promote other people. So it's similar to artists, right? Because it's artists and their work and their time and their painting. But your job is to make other people successful. Mm -hmm. In the same way that you were successful and someone helped you along. And that's the beginning of giving it away instead of keeping it or, or using yourself, putting someone else at the center of it. 
And I think that's where we start developing community. I think this platform that you have here, your book and this podcast is mm -hmm. the beginning of your curator stage. I mean, you're, you curated me, the other guys you're talking to and ladies that you're talking to are out there. You're starting to develop that who Brian is and what Brian knows in this need for networking is the beginning of that, that method in your stage. And a platform is a really great place to be a curator. If you can develop a platform, a way of uh, a speaking engagement, something to talk about, systems, routines, methods that other people can follow your lead, then you are passing on knowledge at a bigger scale. Other people are successful and you make a little piece of it, but other people are growing that way. Um, and I, I think that's a, the, one of the greatest challenges. Um, probably you're seeing it too. And you had to write a book. I haven't written a book yet. Holy cow, was that hard? <laughs> the hard thing was just getting all the details. I have to do that all myself because I have to know how it functions. So I'm in there doing every little piece just to figure out how it functions the first time through. I could write 10 more books and not have an issue with it. But the first one. The first one, right? And isn't it the, like the, the moment of where someone has listened to your recordings? I saw you basically transcribe the recordings and then you went yeah. through that process, which is a great way of doing it. But uh, someone else is kind of working it out. Your editor is working out and you're in your mind going, thinking, you don't understand. Oh, yeah. That's not it at all. That's yeah. not at all what I'm doing. And you have to like get your thoughts out. Hard, 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 hard work. Yep. Uh, once that egg is broken, it kind of starts like the mechanism machine still works, right? Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, to me, it, one of the greatest encouragements I can give business owners is begin that process. Like start doing it. And don't do it too soon. That's foolish. You have nothing mm -hmm. to contribute. You know, lean into those first two stages and do those well. Hugh does well with little, much will be given on to him. So mm. like, do that well. And then you have something to promote others. But it's not about you. That You have to get rid of your selfish nature and go about other people. And that's when it really wins. That's when the genuine nature of like your book comes out because you're thinking about other people as you're writing it. And mm -hmm. you become very detailed that way. The fourth stage for me is the one that I think almost no one's ever going to make it. It's kind of elusive. Um, most of us are looking at it from the outside. We don't recognize it. We think it, we're, we misidentify it as like Elon Musk, owner of Tesla is worth a lot of money, but he's the one that's kind of at the, at the center of the fourth stage. And I call it the collector stage. Uh, think of it like a, a person that buys a piece of, goes to an auction, buys a piece of art for a million dollars and then hangs it on the wall of a museum for free. Like the economics don't work, right? It's, he's not, there's a reason why they're doing it. It's different than the business that you've been doing your whole life, which is buy low, sell high. This is buy high and give away for free. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's something else happening in the economy, in your life, in your ability when you do that work. You know, the trick behind the, the person that's doing that is that they've already collected a lot of work with that artist. So that one action, even though they lost money in that action, the value of their entire collection went up because of one, what looks like crazy idea but they've spent years and years and years and years collecting so that that one moment makes sense. And throughout our career, if we spend our, our career collecting and collecting and collecting and collecting, then the time comes that we can leverage our collection and build up something else. It's something we can lean back on. It, it's things like our legacy. It's, it's the people that we've met along the way. It's the relationships that we've built up. Um, it's the trust, right? Being faithful, being good, being honest being truthful in all the things that you're doing so that you can lean on that as a careful and smart business person later on and creating enough value that that influence that you've developed over those years is worth it to other people. I think if you use that influence for yourself, you're, 
you can be successful. I don't know. I, that's not the, I don't want someone to write a biography about me if I'm that guy. Um, but I want to be the one that has enough to give away. And I just want to give it all away. When I'm all said and done, like happy to kind of make sure my bases are covered and the rest I can give to others. Um, so that's that fourth stage. And you can almost see the story arc now of that first person that's the taker at the beginning of the career and the last person at the end, how it, there's some evolution that has to take place in the middle. Um, I love that. I, honestly, I think what I really do for a living is help people walk through those four stages. And I've developed tools and routines and systems and way of thinking about in, in divest, an investor mentality, a business owner mentality, entrepreneurial issues, you know, more and more detail. The more years I live, the more detail I can get into in each of those issues. But um, uh, to have someone walk through that, that seems like a good life calling to me. I do that, it. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. That's fabulous for somebody. Uh, that's the first time I've ever heard of those. And it speaks straight to it. I, I could totally see that. I could think of the different biographies of people through time that I think of. Even it's cliche to bring up, but it's it, because people use it so often. But a Walt Disney, you yeah. know, and the fact that by the end of his life, that's really what he was all about was being the collector that I, I just want to give it away. I just want to, here's, here's my playground go and play on it. Here's a city I want to build. I just want to pass this off. And that's very cool. It's a really cool way of thinking about it. And I'd love to talk with you some more about it in the future. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I love your Walt Disney idea. Cause I, you know, so in the middle of his career, when he was doing this shift, he was bankrupt. He was leveraging yeah. his family's home. He couldn't get the films made. Um, the studio was angry at them. They almost shut down the studio. The studio went on strike. The artists, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it was not easy. It was yep. so not easy. And Disneyland was like the stupidest idea a business owner <laughs> can think right. of. It wasn't economically making sense. It just didn't. But later on was able to leverage those creations that he had, like turn those characters to life. And then people had a desire to meet those characters. Mm. And that's what Disney is today is living in the happiest place on earth, like living in a fantasy land. Yep. Um, but when he was all said and done, you're like the Epcot Center, you know, that was a utopia he was going to build yep. for houses and stuff like that. Cal Arts, the school to develop art. I mean, and more and more and more. He, if you look at a biography of him, he just wanted to change the world into Disney-esque ways, for better or worse. He had yep. some issues. But that is like, you can hear it in other people's story. I'm always curious, what decisions do I have to make if that's going to be true about my story too? And I want to be aware of those decisions. I want to think through them and I want to model. That's why I created that model so that people can understand and they can hear and imagine, oh, like a gallery owner. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, I could do that today. I could start a podcast and bring people on it and, and, or have a small event that they can grow. I mean, so ready is one of those, mm -hmm. those curator um, things that happen in our area and those people that originated it and the influence that they're kind of gathering and, the work that they're doing in networking, a beautiful example that's local that, that happens. Absolutely. Even First Fridays. Yeah. Who, who thought of First Friday Night Art Night, right? Like that's, whoever did that is thinking in that curator moment or maybe even the collector, I mean, maybe literally collector moment because it's Friday Art Night Art Night, but um, that's a beautiful thing that, that we can see in our own neighborhoods. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and, and we can go, go on and on, but I'll probably see if we can, in this conversation right here for now, sure. uh, why don't you let all the listeners know how they can find out more about you, about RevThink, about your podcast and so forth. 
Yeah, I'm interested in talking to anybody that um, wants to buy me a cup of coffee <laughs> and maybe has something to talk about. Uh, RevThink.com, that's our website. If you're curious about anything we're doing, we have a, just a contact page on the footer of our website. Send us an email, it goes to the info. Um, but myself and Joel, my partner, uh, we'll get that information and we, we'd be happy to kind of sit down and talk. I love the entrepreneur. I love the challenges that they're up against. Many of us think about things in a difficult way to start off. And if I can break down those barriers for anybody, I'll talk all day. Obviously, you can hear it in my conversation. Um, so that's RevThink.com. That's easy. Uh, Zipline Gear is right in downtown Grants Pass. Go buy a Zipline at ZiplineGear.com. It's truly one of my favorite businesses that I'm currently involved in. And I have a lot of fun things, bone broth and, and marketing companies and whatever, timber up here, uh, just south of town here. But the Zipline Gear is so fun because it's the, all about the smile on the kids' faces. Like you're building a family playground in, in people's backyards. So ZiplineGear.com for that. But also RevThinking podcasts we do or anything else that we're doing. We'd happy to take people along for the journey. And uh, I look forward to the day that Brian and I have our new book out. The name of the book is Marketing and Madness. Um, you can figure out which one of us is marketing, which one of us is madness, but that will be the name of our book. <laughs> Fabulous. Hey, thank you so much for being on the show. Tim Thompson, CEO of ZipLineGear.com. Thanks so much for being on Grants Pass VIP. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Well, this has been a really unique conversation that I had with Tim, being that we, we kind of came on it in a completely different direction than I have with most of the conversations I've had. I didn't know much about Tim. He didn't know much about me. And we just kind of start getting to know each other. And you're there listening in as a fly on the wall. So I am curious how this played off to you. And if you found it as enjoyable as I found it being in the middle of the conversation. When it comes to Grants Pass VIP, we're trying some very new things, but it all comes down to starting off, having a conversation, getting to know people. Like I mentioned during the show, it's kind of a networking opportunity. It's a way for us all to get to know each other a little better without having to be right in front of each other, which it's funny because it's an idea that came into play before COVID-19, yet it's being implemented during <laughs> the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. What was so interesting is Tim and I not knowing each other, not knowing a whole lot about each other's background, and yet having so much in common and having even a common vocabulary that we can speak back and forth. So once again, it's business talk, so I'm not sure how interesting it's going to be to the average listener, but I was able to meet someone in a very short period of time that I know I'm going to continue knowing, getting to know better. And I mean, you heard Tim mention that we're probably going to write our next book together. I mean, how about that? <laughs> you know, So it's a great thing being able to meet great people like this. Looking forward to talking to more amazing people like Tim. If you happen to know anybody that you think would be a great guest on the show, please reach out to us at grantspassvip.com. Join us again on the next Grants Pass VIP, brought to you by the team at brianjpombo.com. Helping movers and shakers in Southern Oregon and beyond stand out. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest or a sponsor on Grants Pass VIP, go to grantspassvip.com forward slash contact. 
guests who appear on the show do not necessarily endorse the opinions of the host or sponsors. The theme music is Fun Shot by Kevin McLeod. Our host is a Grants Pass resident and business strategist, Brian Pombo. I'm executive producer, Shawnee Douglas. And until next time, live rogue and have fun.